Hello and welcome to Alchemy Radio, where the only thing we ask of you is that you keep an open mind. Today's guest is Rick Simpson. Rick has been providing people with instructions on how to make hemp oil medicines for about nine years. The results, Rick claims, have been nothing short of amazing. The research, backed by hundreds of other studies done worldwide, have proven that properly made hemp medicine provides relief and cures many diseases, even cancer. Simpson has provided hemp oil to hundreds of people with various medical conditions, and the results speak for themselves. Throughout man's history, hemp has always been known as a powerful medicinal plant across the world, and I think we have a very interesting chat in store today. So, Rick, how are you? Welcome to Alchemy Radio. Well, not too bad, brother. We're, we're starting to actually get a little bit of weather here in Canada. <laughs> That's something new. Well, don't uh, speak but, to us about uh, weather here in Ireland. It's absolutely dismal as I look out the window on a summer's day. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, I, be, I do plan to return to Europe, though, in the very near future and uh, get back to work over there. Fantastic. Well, speaking of your work, let's go into a little bit about your background for those who might not be familiar with the Rick Simpson story. How did you get from where you were to where you are, Rick? Oh, well, that's a long story. But, you know, if somebody had told me all of this about 15 or 20 years ago, I wouldn't have believed it myself. But, uh, I mean, I, w- I spent my life basically working in a hospital in Spring Hill, Nova Scotia. Yeah. And uh, I heard uh, back in the mid-70s, uh, three years after my cousin had died from cancer at 25 years of age, uh, <laughs> it was about three years after his death that I heard this uh, report on our local radio station stating that cannabis, or THC, the active ingredient in marijuana, has been found to cure cancer or kill cancer cells. Mm. So... The report was given in a, such a stupid way. I mean, the, the announcer was laughing like an idiot because when, whenever the word marijuana comes up, everybody got to try to make a joke out of it for some weird reason. But uh, that stuck in my mind anyway, and uh, so the years went by, and I never heard nothing more about that. But uh, then in 1997, I, I suffered a severe head injury, uh, and I wound up with a condition called post-concussion syndrome. Uh, what I have is ringing in my head 24 hours a day, and it, that affects my blood pressure, and I had balance issues. I had all kinds of problems. Right. And uh, they put me on all the chemicals, you know, and I, I took everything they threw at me, but it just made me worse and worse. You know, so uh, about a year after I was injured, I watched an episode of The Nature of Things with Dr. David Suzuki, and they were showing people that were smoking cannabis and uh, getting good results for their medical problems. So, I, I mean, I had smoked cannabis in the past, but uh, so I went out and I got some and tried it. And sure enough, I mean, it, it worked better than anything that the medical system had been giving me. Up until that point, I had never looked at cannabis as being a medicine. But right after, uh, right after that, I went to my doctor's office and uh, I asked him, you know, for prescriptions for hemp. I asked them all and nobody would give me a prescription. And then uh, in 1999, I was in my doctor's office again, and I asked him what he would think if I was to make the essential oil of this plant and ingest it, as opposed to smoking the plant material. Yeah. Well, the doctor got a really funny look on his face, but he, he looked at me and he said, well, you know, that would be a much more medicinal way to use it. But he still wouldn't supply me, you know, with any, uh, you know, with the prescription so I could use it legally. 
And uh, then a couple years later, in 2001, I was called to his office, and uh, he just told me point blank that there was nothing more they could do for me. They had tried everything that at their disposal, and nothing helped. So I was on my own. And you know, by that point in time, the effect of the condition and and the and the chemicals they gave me, I mean, my mind was not functioning properly at all. And uh, actually, I, I was having a hard time even remembering my own name at that point. So I didn't really have anywhere to turn. I mean, I did try to go through the chronic pain center in Halifax to get a prescription, but when I called them, they told me there was a two-year waiting list, you know, before, you could, before they could even see you. So, I mean, that doesn't do anybody in my situation any good. So I had no other choice. You know, I, I just had to start taking the oil and see what would happen. And, I mean, in the beginning, I had no idea. I have no medical background, really, other than working in a hospital. And I knew nothing about cannabis as a medicine. But in no time, you know, I got on this oil, and it cleared up my thinking processes. Uh, I lost uh, about 30 pounds. Uh, you know, and people around me were seeing the difference in me. It was, you know, quite an amazing transition from where I'd been. And uh, so it just kept, you know, it controlled my blood pressure. It just kept doing all these wonderful things. And then in late 2002, I went back to my doctor's office over these three areas I had, you know, on my body. I had one next to my eye, right eye on the side of my nose uh, and uh, one on my cheek and one on my chest. And these are lesions that wouldn't heal. Okay. And I'd had them for years, but I strongly suspected they were skin cancer, but I didn't want to admit it to myself. But finally, in late 2002, I went to the doctor, and he looked at them, and he said, well, yeah, he said, it does look like skin cancer, but he said, I won't know for sure until we get the results of, of the, uh, the pathology report back. So anyway, they sent me in to deal with the one next to my eye because they were concerned about that, and they said they would do the other two at a later date. So I went in and had that done, and it was about a week afterwards that uh, I was looking at the area where they had operated. And that's when that report came back into my mind about THC, you know, the active ingredient, marijuana has been found to cure cancer cells. So I almost, I hate to admit this, but I almost didn't do it. I mean, I was thinking at the time where I was ingesting the oil that if it actually cured cancer, then it should have cured my cancers. But uh, anyway, I went to the bathroom and I applied the oil directly to the skin cancers. And uh, well, the one on my cheek and the one on my chest, uh, four day, I really never felt a thing. I didn't really think it was doing anything. And then four days later, when I took the bandages off, they were completely healed. It was just pink skin. So I began telling friends and neighbors, you know, you know what I had done, and, and they all just laughed at me. You know, yeah, right, Rick, marijuana cures cancer. You know, yeah, sure. And uh, nobody believed it. And then uh, the one next to my nose, uh, or next to my right eye, within seven weeks, I mean, the one they had surgically removed, it came right back. So I watched it develop, you know, the swelling and the feeling like you have splinters in your face in the affected area, mm -hmm. and it bleeds a little bit. And uh, so I knew it was the same thing that I'd had in the past. So I applied the oil, put a bandage on. Four days later, removed the bandage, completely healed. And, uh, I mean, that's over 10 years ago, and I've never had to retreat these areas since. So uh, I went right down to my doctor's office and got a copy of my pathology report, which stated I had basal cell carcinoma skin cancer so I told the doctor's receptionist that I'd like to come back in the evening you know to, to speak with them you know about something I'd been working on mm. and she asked me she said well what's this about and I said well that one that they had surgically removed and the other two areas I treated them all with hemp oil and I cured them all you know with this natural oil 
And basically, the woman went ballistic right in front of me. I mean, I, I was standing in my doctor's waiting room with four or five other patients, and she literally started screaming at me. You know, the doctor will not go there. The doctor will not prescribe this. And I'm looking at her thinking, you know, what's wrong with these people? I mean, if I was a small town doctor and one of my patients had cured their cancer with a natural substance, I would want to know all about it. So it kind of had a bad smell about it. So after that, I, I went home and I, I started, to, you know, supplying the oil to friends and neighbors and my mother, you know, for different skin conditions. And it, it just started healing everything that, you know, I put in front of it. It was just amazing. And uh, then I, uh, I contacted, I started contacting all the political parties. Uh, I went to two federal ministers of health here in Canada. I went to Dr. David Suzuki, the Canadian Cancer Society. We went to the United Nations about this. Nobody would lift a finger. You know, they've been telling us for years that they want a cure. Well, here it is, but oh, no, we don't want to hear that. You know, I was just amazed at the, at the, at the way they behaved. But I continued treating people, and then 2004, I started uh, supplying the oil to individuals, uh, to, you know, to treat internal cancers. And uh, again, <laughs> amazing results. Now, what I was doing at the time, I, I was growing the plants, and I was producing the oil, and I was giving it to patients for nothing. And, uh, you know, like I said, the results were astounding. Yeah. And then in uh, the fall of 2004, I went to our local newspaper, the Spring Hill Record. They did a full-page article detailing all my activities. I mean, I was wide open about this. I never hid a thing from anyone. And uh, so I, we, had, we staged a meeting at the McCann Legion. At, well, it was the Legion at that time. It's gone now. It's back to being the McCann Community Center. But we had a meeting at the Legion, and uh, we brought some patients in, and there was about 50 people there, I guess. But we videotaped the whole thing. And then I sent copies of this to W5, the Fifth Estate, and uh, Marketplace, and, you know, all these news and information shows you know, thinking that they might do something about this. And then I took a copy of this video right into the RCM, or the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, into the local detachment in Amherst, and I gave it to them, and I, I told them that there was local politicians who should be charged with criminal negligence causing death. And I asked them if, I could, if they would supply me with what they confiscated in their raids so I could make more medicine. And I openly told them that I was growing, you know, hemp right in my backyard. I never hid the fact. So three months later, that, uh, that same detachment, they come and they raid me. And they took all my plants. I had 1,620 plants in my backyard, and they took them all. And, I mean, I know this sounds like a lot, but when you're dealing with cancer, I mean, you, you need a pound of good hemp bud to produce a cancer treatment. Okay. And uh, so when you're talking like 1,600 plants, well, that's, that's a lot of pot, you know, if you're just going to sit there and smoke it. But if you're making medicine with it, uh, it doesn't really go that far. But uh, they come in, they charge me with uh, possession, cultivation, and trafficking, even though I was giving this stuff away. And I just thought, you know, like these people are insane. So I, I went into the, they took me into the court system. I, I took uh, a video, copies of the videotape that I had sent to the RCMP. And I also videotaped me taking the, this videotape right into the RCMP. That was all videotape too. So I gave a copy to the Crown Prosecutor. And I gave another copy to our local Chronicle Herald reporter. And right at that moment, then the judge put a publication ban in place. So that stopped the, the papers from writing about this. Wow. But I told the Crown Prosecutor, I said, you know, this does not belong in a court of law. You know, this is medicine for God's sakes. And it's a wonderful medicine that can, you know, help everyone. 
But they continued on with their little witch hunt, and uh, I went through a charter challenge. Uh, it was, you know, under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada, you're supposed to have the right to life. <laughs> but you, the only time you have the right to life is as long as you're willing to take their chemicals and poisons. Then you have the right to life. But if you take something natural like and harmless, like, the, you know, the oil from the cannabis hemp plant, well, that's a no-no. In that case, you don't have the right to life. So as far as I'm concerned, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada is really not worth the paper it's written on. And uh, so in 2006, I put another 1,100 clones in my backyard, you know, thinking that sooner or later these people would have to sober up because the evidence was mounting so quickly. But in they come again, the RCMP, they take the 1,100 plants. And, uh, well, finally we got into, uh, into a Supreme Court of Nova Scotia court case. You know, I, I figured, put this before a jury, and surely to God, they, you know, they'll figure this out. Yeah. And, uh, but when I went to court, I mean, they brought all these officers up to testify against me, but in the end, they all wound up testifying for me. Because I told, you know, I asked them, and I held up the copy of the newspaper. I said, you know, would a criminal, you know, this was a year before I was ever charged. So would a criminal go to a local newspaper and have a full-page article done about his activities? Yeah. Well, they all had to admit to the jury that no, no criminal would do that. And then I asked them about the evidence I had given the RCMP. And then they sat there, and they all had this dumb look in their face, and they said, well, we know of this evidence, but we have never viewed it. And I asked them, I said, is it common practice for the RCMP not to look at evidence? Hmm. And I didn't even get an answer. And, and, of course, the judge didn't force them to answer, which is what he should have done. You know, the, the whole thing was disgusting. And then they put their marijuana expert on the, on the stand, and uh, that man didn't know anything about the cannabis hemp plant. And I, I just tore him apart because he, he, he didn't even know that marijuana was hemp, for God's sake. So it was unbelievable. And this is their so so-called just, expert. Yeah, that was their expert. And, uh, I mean, I just literally destroyed him. And uh, then it was my turn. You know, like the prosecution had presented their case. So I, you know, I had 10 patients. Some of them had been t cured with terminal cancer. I had them right there ready to testify. And I had six doctors. And uh, the doctors weren't there willingly, but uh, so the judge asked me, he said, what do you intend to do? And I said, well, I want to put the patients on the stand and have them tell, you know, the, the effects that they've seen with the use of this medicine. Tell the jury that. And then when they're done, I want to put the doctor on the stand, and that way the doctor can't lie. And, uh, well, the judge said, oh, no, well, uh, this, this really has nothing to do with your case. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, uh, the patient's... Uh, that really has nothing to do with the charges you are facing. And I, I, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. I mean, these were the same people that had used this oil, and many of them had saved their lives by the use of this substance. And, and you, you won't let me put these people on the stand? So anyway, they, they refused. There's no way they would let the patients on the stand. But I did have a box full of scientific evidence right there at my disposal. So I started with the scientific evidence. Oh, well, you can't present that. And I was like, what, you know, what kind of court is this? <laughs> well, finally, in the end, the only one that was allowed to testify on my behalf was me. So I spent about two hours on the stand explaining to the jury exactly what was going on here. And some of these jury members, I had actually treated family members of, these, uh, of, the, of some of these jurors. Okay. So I, I really didn't think there was a hope in hell that they could ever find me guilty of anything. So I, I don't know, uh, I mean, the, the case ended up, and then, then the jury was excused to, uh, you know, go deliberate. And it was only like three hours later, we were called back to the courthouse. And uh, when I came in, 
the jury had reached a verdict, apparently, so I came into the courtroom, and Monica McQueen, the prosecutor from the Justice Department, she was sitting there, but the Crown prosecutor was missing. So I'm, you know, I, I kind of wondered about that, but three or four minutes later, the Crown prosecutor, he came in and sat down, and then a minute or so afterwards, the jury came in. Well, when I stood for the verdict, it was like, guilty, guilty, guilty. And I, I'm, I'm looking at this jury thinking, you know, guilty of what? Healing people and saving lives? That's a crime in Canada? You know, I, I, was, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. As a matter of fact, I turned right to the judge right at that very moment, and I said to the judge, I said, you better lock me up right now because I said, as soon as I go home, I'm going to continue to treat people with this substance until I'm sentenced. The judge never said a word. You know, <laughs> he knew I wasn't doing anything wrong. They all knew. Yeah. But, you know, there's the corruption for you. Because, you know, in Canada, like half the lawyers in this country are making a living off of hemp cases, you know, defending or prosecuting people facing charges, you know, in regards to cannabis hemp. Mm. So it's a big money trough to these idiots. I just couldn't believe, you know, what went on there. And uh, so anyway, uh, when I, well, finally at the sentencing, uh, well, even the judge at the sentencing, he said, you know, he said, under different circumstances, he said, Mr. Simpson would be winning awards for his work. But he said, this is a court of law, and we don't give out awards. And then he stated openly, he said, my 34 years in the legal system, I've never seen a case like this. There was no criminal intent. So what was I doing in his damn courtroom? Exactly. You know, and... I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden he comes right out with it. Now, he wouldn't allow the scientific evidence to be introduced. He would not allow the patients on the stand. But the next thing he comes out with is, well, the scientific evidence does exist to back up everything Mr. Simpson is saying, and he also has all these patients who are backing his position. And, I mean, that proved to me that the judge had prior knowledge, of course, and uh, I was facing a 12-year jail sentence. So they gave me a $2,000 fine and a gun restriction. And the only reason I was given the gun restriction was because the minute you're found guilty of trafficking in Canada, you get an automatic gun restriction, even if there's no guns involved. You know, <laughs> what a wonderful free country Canada truly is. Yeah. And uh, so after that, they, they, you know, I was very disheartened. I was planning to leave Canada. I was looking for other countries where I might go and, you know, and, and continue on with my research. But, you know, people just kept coming. More and more, you know, the newspapers did articles. There were so many things that went on and, you know, it attracted attention and people, you know, that were in desperate need, they kept coming to me to help them. So I just kept doing everything I could for, you know, anyone that came. But then in 2009, I was contacted uh, by a group in the Czech Republic to come and do uh, a speaking tour with Dr. Lemire Hanoush. Now, Dr. Hanoush is one of the top uh, experts in this field. Uh, he works at Hebrew University in Jerusalem with um, Mishulin, the guy that discovered THC. So these are the top people. So we did the speaking tour, and it was quite successful. And then I returned to Canada, and I, I was supposed to go back. Uh, at Well, I returned to Canada at the end of October in 2009, and then I had three weeks home, and then I had to go back to Amsterdam to attend the Cannabis Cup because they wanted me to put on a seminar, and they were going to make me Freedom Fighter of the Year. So in that three-week period before I left for Amsterdam, I, I caught up with everything. <laughs> Believe me, I was running flat out because there were people coming at me in all directions. Mm. And um, so I got in Amsterdam, and then just the, the, the day before the event ended, I got word from Canada that the RCMP had come in and raided my property again. 
You know, I, I had openly grown hemp again right in my backyard in 2009, but they never came. They didn't raid it this time. Mm. You know, so when I came back, I like from, uh, from the Czech Republic, I processed all the material into medicine, distributed it, you know, the material or the oil everywhere. And then I went back to Amsterdam. Well, you know, a week after I'm in Amsterdam, they come in and raid my house. And what they were trying to do, they were trying to frame me. You know, the RCN, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police are quite well known for doing acts such as this in the past. So I think what happened, the government ordered them to go in there and, you know, do a frame job. And that way we can keep him out of the country, you know, because they, they were getting very uncomfortable with me because I was gaining more and more support every day. And I was a big thorn in the government's backside. So I think that was the bright idea they had. So, and of course, I, I realized, you know, things, I'd already gone through their legal system. I knew all about the corruption, so I, the only thing for me to do was to remain in Europe and allow, you know, the public more time, you know, to become aware of what was really going on here. And it also gave me the time to write the book on this subject. And uh, I brought that book out last, uh, last July. It's available on our website at phoenixtears.ca, and it's just an e-book, but the, the book is called Phoenix Tears, a Rick Simpson Story. And uh, believe me, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty eye-opening book about the world we live in. And I've had a lot of good comments, you know, from people that have read it. So I'm, I'm quite pleased. <laughs> I never ever thought of myself as an author, but apparently most people like the book. So I'm, I'm happy about that. So I, I remained in Europe, and I, I continued doing seminars and speaking wherever I could. Uh, I was on national television in Croatia uh, a couple of times uh, and, and also in Slovenia and once or twice in the Czech Republic. So, you know, my message was getting out. And, uh, you know, sadly, when I went to Europe in 2009, it, it was like nobody over there was aware of this oil and what it could do. So I guess by that, I was, well, I spent almost three years in Europe, and uh, the time was not wasted, believe me. I mean, uh, we spread the message, and now there's many, many countries over there that are actually starting to legalize the medicinal use of cannabis, and they're looking at this plant in a whole different way. Mm -hmm. You know, because the simple truth is, I mean, this is the greatest healing plant on earth. And if you go through our history, cannabis hemp has always been man's best friend. You know, I mean, we made our paper, we made our fiber, our ropes, our flags, our Bibles, our clothing, you know, all through history. And, and not to mention the wonderful food supply, you know, in, in times gone by, uh, we used to call it gruel. But what gruel actually was, was hemp seeds, the most nutritious food on earth. <laughs> so they've restricted the growing and use of this plant in so many countries now, and it really frustrates me. Uh, you know, I see children, you know, on, on, on television, you know, starving to death in these harsh climates. And I know there's no reason for it. You know, if their governments would simply let them grow hemp, well, hemp will grow in a harsh climate. Yeah. And they'll feed these people so we could end starvation in no time. You know, we could supply our own energy. We could supply our own medicine. If we just have the, you know, and it's a natural right. I mean, who, who has the right to tell us that you cannot use a God-given harmless plant that is non-addictive to heal yourself? I mean, who writes this stuff? Did they go to God and get permission? I don't think so. So, I mean, the, the simple truth is it's these evil rich families, the big banking families, the Rothschilds, Rockefellers, I mean, and people like that, that have been ruling our planet forever. They've kept us all enslaved to their way of thinking and their system. And their way of thinking, well, look where it's got us. You know, we're living on a poison, polluted planet, for God's sakes. It's getting more poisonous and toxic every day. Our health, our, you know, our immune systems are becoming compromised. 
the, the rates of all these different diseases like cancer are going right through the roof. As a matter of fact, we're in the middle of a cancer epidemic, but nobody seems to want to admit it. That's for sure. And then you got all these other, you know, Crohn's, Alzheimer's, and all so many diseases. You know, and the doctors all, well, you know, these, these diseases are treatable, but they're not curable. Well, I got news for these guys. You know, most of these conditions are very treatable, and many of them are quite curable. You know, the, the word incurable doesn't mean much when you, when you see what this, this wonderful natural substance can do. And you see, back in 2004, we put up our website, phoenixtears.ca, and we told the whole world how to produce, you know, how to, you know, what to look for, what type of material to look for, and we told them how to make the medicine themselves in a very simple way. And then in 2008, we brought out our, our documentary called Run From The Cure, and that's been viewed by hundreds of millions now worldwide. And in Run From The Cure, we also showed the process and how you can produce the oil. And it's really no harder than making a cup of coffee. You know, once you do it, it's just like a joke. I could do this with, my, with a blindfold on. But, uh, you, know, it's, it, you know, we all kind of sit and we look at medicine like it, you know, it's a big, deep, dark science, and only doctors can understand it. Well, I'll tell you right now, you get into this oil and you start watching what it does. Uh, believe me, it takes the mystery out of medicine real quick. And then you see how fraudulent medicine really is. I mean, we have this wonderful oath called the Hippocratic Oath. And that's the oath that doctors are supposed to follow. And the first thing it says in that oath, first do no harm. Now look what doctors do. They go to medical school, they get out, and the first thing they start doing is providing us with liver toxic chemicals. Mm. Poison to our liver. Good job, doctors. And then, you know, if we get something like cancer, well, then they can throw chemo and radiation and all this nonsense at us. You know, carcinogenic treatments. Cancer-causing treatments to treat cancer. <laughs> now, what lunatic come up with that one? You know, and, and this is a system, they, they've shoved this down our throats, you know, and through television and brainwashing. They've told people, I mean, back in the 60s, you know, Ben Casey, Dr. Kildare, and uh, Perry Mason, the lawyer that would always get you off. You know, they brainwashed us into trusting these individuals. You know, trust that guy in the white coat because he knows what's best for you. Well, it's sad to say, but I, I look at these guys, you know, these doctors today, any doctor that does not follow his Hippocratic Oath is nothing but a murderer, as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, you know, I, I, anybody, and, and again, anybody, that, any doctor that doesn't back the use of a natural harmless medicine that can heal the masses, that's not a doctor. That's a quack. And the world, unfortunately, is full of them. And people are still listening to them. And th this is what gets me, is, you know, like the... We, I mean, we've all seen our friends and neighbors get cancer, and we've seen the horrible deaths that resulted. You know, so how many times do they got to give you chemo and radiation before they figure, finally figure out that, you know, this doesn't work? You know, isn't that the definition of madness when you keep doing the same thing over and over and expect a different result? You know, and they, you know, they come at us with these claims, you know, well, chemo only kills about one in five. Well... Chemo and radiation are actually uh, quite guilty of killing more like four out of five. And, the, I mean, the, the cancer statistics themselves, are di you know, they're dismal. If you're diagnosed right now with a serious internal cancer and you go through the medical system, in five years, you've got a 98% chance of being dead. There's our medical system. Hooray for them. But now we have our own medical system. All we have to do is stand as one and tell our governments where to get off. You know, the show is over, guys. 
Now, we know about this wonderful medicine, and we know how to heal ourselves. Now, get out of our way. And where this plant, like I said, is harmless, then we all should have the right to grow as many hemp plants as we want. I mean, who are we, who are we hurting? No one. You know, so, it, you know, it's really up to the public to stand up and take their own freedom back. Because, I mean, the minute we set the cannabis hemp plant free, in turn, we free ourselves. Because our, our, you know, when you actually, even from smoking cannabis, it, it starts to make you wonder, you know, what's holding the system together. And when you're on the oil and, and things like that, you, you question, you know, what they're doing. And you see, this is what they're afraid of because they don't want anybody to question them. You know, they like it the way it is because they're all filling their pockets. But the sad fact is, in truth, they're all psychopaths. I mean, you, you have to be a psychopath, you know, to go out like, a do like for a doctor to get up in the morning and like an oncologist and know he's going into a, a children's cancer ward and he's going to give these children massive doses of poison. Mm. I mean, is that not a psychopath? And it's amazing, Rick, because I often mull that question over in my head as well. And prior to us uh, getting on the phone and chatting, I was thinking about that very point. Because people will see their local doctor as, um, you know, the trustworthy person that they can always turn to in times of need. And if things don't work out with regard to treatments, well, you know, the doctor did his best. But I have major problems with that on a personal level because... I don't see how the, the knowledge is out there with regard to cancer treatments and what they actually do and don't do. And when people actually weigh up the knowledge in an objective manner, they can't deny the fact that this is doing far, 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 and you've given a statistic there, far more harm than good. So how can these people, free from guilt, go and continue to administer these treatments when there are... I mean, there are several viable alternatives that seem to be quashed by the media and by so many people out there, the medical establishment itself. So let's talk about that medical establishment because let's take it at face value. Most people think that doctors are trustworthy people and they're out there to, uh, to help everybody and to heal and to ease disease. That's not the case. And I mean, we can go back to... I don't know, the, the 1800s, there's a case, Dr. Semmelweis in Hungary. Tell us a little bit about him, because that's, I suppose, the earliest historical example of the current medical system um, existing as it does. Well, the doctor you're speaking of, uh, he simply wanted physicians to wash their hands. You know, uh, they would go down and examine dead bodies, and then they'd go deliver a baby, you know, without ever washing their hands. And, and the infection rates in these hospitals at that time, back in the mid-1800s, was horrible. So he, he instituted a plan that they washed their hands. So when they started washing their hands, the infection rates went, you know, the bottom dropped out of it. The infections went way down. And then, uh, but then they ostracized him from the medical system. You know, how dare he tell doctors to wash their hands? I mean, <laughs> to me it's common sense, but, you know, that was a resistance to change that, you know, he, he encountered in the medical system. And I believe in the end the man ended up committing suicide because he was just so disgusted, you know, with his own profession. But the sad truth is, you know, with doctors, you know, that people like to say, you know, well, the doctors don't know. Well, how could any medical professional not know about the most medicinal plant in the world? They're taught about this plant in medical school. And all these oncologists, you know, why is it that over 80% of oncologists refuse to take their own treatments? I mean, they know how, how deadly these treatments are, and they won't take them themselves. But they'll give them to you and me, won't they? So they're all a pack of criminals, no matter how you look at it. And I think it's going to take a very, very long time. You know, once all of this is exposed, it's going to take uh, a, a great deal of time for the public to ever put trust in the medical system again after what they've done. 
Because, I mean, literally hundreds of millions, if not billions, over the last few decades have suffered and died for no damn reason whatsoever. Mm. And right here in Canada, I mean, in 1923, they outlawed the growing in use of cannabis hemp and the medicinal use. So for the last 90 years, uh, the Canadian government have been committing genocide against their own people. Because, you know, I mean, when you refuse to allow your public the use of a medicine, medicine that can heal them, that's genocide, no matter how you cut it. And it's not only in Canada, it's in, in all countries now. But, you know, when you look at the numbers, like, like right here in Canada, well, I went, to, I went, like I said, I went to the government in 2003, 10 years ago. We have 70,000, or around 70,000 Canadians dying every year from cancer. Now, add that up over the last 10 years. That's 700,000 Canadians that have died from cancer alone. And that's just one disease that this, this oil is a very, very effective treatment for. Now, I'm not saying that we could have saved them all, but I can tell you we could have saved the vast majority. There's no question. So who's guilty? I would say it has to be the Canadian government mm -hmm. and the people that they're working for, the big money guys. You know, our, our whole, uh, you know, our political systems are just a sham. You know, we have all these parties, and they pretend that they have different, differing points of view on all of this. But then when, when another party gets in power, they just continue on with the same nonsense. Because in reality, they're all under the control of the big money. They're not working for the public who pays their salary. They're working for the big money interests. And, you know, they don't give a damn about us. So, you know, why are we supporting governments like this? You know, why are we supporting police forces that are harassing us and taking our medicine away from us, for God's sakes. You know, and, and it's, it's really comical. You know, you, you, you look at the, you know, what you hear, like, you know, oh, like the American government, you know, fighting the war on drugs and fighting the war on terror. Well, as far as I'm concerned, America is the greatest terrorist on this planet. And they're also one of the, big drug, one of the biggest drug dealing countries uh, in the world. I mean, just look at the CIA. I mean, for everybody knows the CIA. For decades, they, they flew plain loads of cocaine from Central and South America into the U.S., and they spread the use of cocaine all over America. Now, that was the Central Intelligence Agency. That's a government agency. So who are the drug dealers? I mean, they'll go out and arrest you or I for growing a harmless natural plant while they're dealing coke. You know, yeah, but they're, you know, but they're totally innocent. And then you, and you look over there and, and all these uh, wars and invasions we see nowadays, which are totally mindless. We, you know, we have no right to be invading these countries, for God's sakes. And then you see our, our troops over there in Afghanistan guarding poppy fields, where over 80% of the, of the heroin supply comes from. Now, what are our troops doing guarding these, these crops? Mm. This doesn't make any sense to me, and it shouldn't make any sense to anyone else. You know, our, our whole world... Our whole way of life is really just based on deceptions and lies. And, you know, we have to get together and we have to change this world because they're poisoning the planet at such an alarming rate that I honestly feel that in 20 to 30 years, we could all wind up going extinct. You know, we're not designed to live in a poison environment, and neither is most other animal life. But yet we continue to pollute this planet and make it more toxic every day. Now, what right do we have to be doing this when, when, you know, we don't need fossil fuels to heat our homes. All we have to do is grow cannabis. You know, one acre of cannabis can produce as much as 1,800 gallons of ethanol. Well, 
That's enough ethanol to run your car for a year, heat your home, and you'll have a few hundred gallons left over. And that would make us energy independent, wouldn't it? Absolutely. But they don't want that. They want us enslaved to their system. But their system is killing the planet, and that, in turn, is going to kill us. And there are so many worries when it comes to that at the moment, because obviously we have uh, the burning of fossil fuels, which is causing its own problems. Uh, the, the reason that any kind of alternative energy seems to be suppressed is obviously because the oil industry is such a massive industry. Big Pharma is no different, because as we know, if something can't be patented or patented, well, then there's no money in it. So what do they do? Well, generally, that item becomes banned. And certainly hemp and cannabis is a case in point there. And I, I really think that what you're talking about is the control system that exists on so many different levels. So whether it's we're talking about hemp oil or whether we're talking about um, government control or the police or something like that, it all ties into a bigger picture. And that bigger picture is control, money, power. And of course, you mentioned the Rothschilds and that, that I suppose they're the poster boys for the control system at the moment um, and, and banking and money. And is there any way out of this as you see it, Rick? Well, oh yes, there's definitely a way out of it, but the, the evil rich will not like it. <laughs> you know, I mean, just that one family, from what I've read, that one family, the Rothschild family, are supposed to be in control of over half the money and resources on this planet. Yeah. One family. Now, from what I understand, they have enough money to feed, house, and clothe every human being on this planet. Now, that's the power of one family. Now, that's just one of them, but you start looking at all the rest of them, they're all kind of teamed up together. But, I mean, these people are nothing more than criminals. If you look at their history and how they got their money, they stole it from us. So, what, you know, what we need, we need a real legal system. We've got to get away from this admiralty, you know, uh, de facto nonsense that yeah. we have as a court system today. We need real de jure common law courts. Then take these people into these courts, make them admit their guilt, and then strip them of their resources and money. And put, you know, put these resources in the hands of people that will do what's right for the whole human race. You know, and uh, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not looking, I'm not saying to lock these people up because really they're sick-minded. That's what's wrong with them. And maybe if they had some oil in them, they might start thinking a bit more rationally. But I would say don't send them to jail. I would say just, you know, give them enough money and resources to live out their lives, but make it so they can't do any further harm. Yeah. And... I really do believe that it's time for a world government. You know, not the New World Order variety, because, I mean, that bunch of nuts, <laughs> they're, all, they're all just out to rule the earth. But we need, like, a world council, I think. And then we, have, we should have elected representatives from every region, you know, on this council, everything done with an open book policy to the public. You know, no more hidden backdoor meetings and agendas and, and being controlled by these rich, you know, robber barons. Uh, do what's right for the public, the public that are paying, you know, your salaries. And if any elected representative is caught doing something wrong, well, it shouldn't be, you know, he's going to finish out his term. No, he should be fired, period, mm. and disgraced for what he has done. And, uh, I mean, I think that goes for all government levels. If people would simply stop voting for these corrupted parties and vote for ind independent individuals who will really represent them properly... Our whole system would change. And I honestly believe that, you know, we don't need, like here in Canada, we have Ottawa and the federal government. But in my mind, that should be turned into a museum. And what we need, we need smart people making the decisions that run our country. 
not a bunch of brain dead dummies who only carry who only who only care about money. We needed like people like a, a think tank. You know, two of the best in medicine, two of the best in farming, two of the best in forestry, and all these different professions. Put them in, an, in a think tank. Let them make the day-to-day -day decisions that run our countries. And, again, do everything with an open book policy to the public. And that would put an end to corruption. And then we would finally have honest government for a change, which is long overdue. And do you think, Rick, that there is any kind of... Um any kind of awakening to this kind of knowledge? you think people are more open to it now than they were in the past? Uh, well, I, I, yeah, it's opening up more and more every day. But I was really pleased when I went to Europe because, uh, you know, I thought that they would be as badly brainwashed over there as we are over here in North America. Mm. But and the people in Europe were much more open-minded about this subject because, I mean, they, in Europe they have such an extensive history. You know, in the Czech Republic alone... They claim that the use of hemp goes back at least 26,000 years in the Czech Republic. You know, so hemp has been around for a while, and, and these people haven't forgotten, you know, the many things you can do with this plant. Although the medical knowledge was hidden, but, of course, that's no longer the case. So there's every reason now, you know, for this to take place and, and for governments to, to allow this because, you know, we have high unemployment in many, many countries. The unemployment rates are scary. Well, if we had, you know, if we put people back on the land and let them grow their hemp and become self-sufficient and, you know, we could put millions, so, you know, we could basically end unemployment. We could end starvation, you know, end the energy crisis. We can put an end to all of these problems that are facing mankind if we simple, simply use common sense and start growing that plant again. But that's not the way that those in control want it. But I, I think now that there's no choice in the end, they're going to have to allow the growing and use of this plant on a grand scale everywhere because in reality, it's about the only thing that can save us. You know, when you look at everything that's going on, like, you know, these nuclear power plants like Fukushima, mm. you know, when you think about the devastating effect it's already having on many people's health, but in the future, this is going to have a devastating effect on everyone's health. You know, and I mean, the only substance I know of that can keep you in a constant state of detoxification and it, and it, undoes, radiation, it does, undoes radiation damage, and I've seen this with my own eyes, is the oil. Start taking the oil to protect yourself. You know, it maintains your body in a state of good health and it keeps you detoxified because so many of these little particles that are floating around in our air today, you know, if they land on you, they land on the food you're going to eat, well, guess what? You've got cancer, you know, or something worse, and it's... It's beyond belief, but we have a simple way that we can help everyone. And you're always getting all these people that are saying, you know, well, we have to keep cannabis away from our children. Mm, yeah. You know, while the doctors are filling them full of Ritalin and Prozac and Paxil and whatever else they can dream up, that's okay because the doctors want it that way. Yeah. Well, it's not okay with me. And as far as I'm, from what I've seen, this is the safest medication known to man. And all age groups can benefit from its use. So they're always screaming they want preventative medicine. Well, why aren't we giving our children tiny doses of this oil every day and, you know, as a preventative medicine? Because then we could stop diseases like cancer, diabetes, multiple sclerosis. So many diseases could be prevented by simply doing this. And I'm not talking about getting the kiddies high. You know, I mean, once you're used to this oil, like, you don't get high on it. You, people don't even know you're taking it. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to ask you about. In, in practical terms, if somebody decides they're going to use the oil, 
and they begin using it, what is the actual effect on the body or I, I suppose the, the issue of being high, playing devil's ag- advocate for a second, if, if I've never heard of this before <coughs> and all I know is the, the mainstream establishment's view of what cannabis does to people, surely, Rick, people are going to go around high as kites all the time. <laughs> well, that's not really the case. and I mean, if you've ever seen, you know, like individuals like myself sitting and having, having a conversation mm. and smoking a joint, well, I mean, we're not picking fights with each other. You know, we're, we're not falling down drunk. Uh, you know, we're, we're very sensible. Mm-hmm. We're having sensible conversations. And I've made that point in quite a few of the interviews I've done. You know, the perception of what cannabis does to people is entirely wrong. And, I mean, the, the only time you ever see people on TV is some pimple-faced teenager going, you know, tee-hee-hee. You know, like, they're idiots. Put, you know, put an adult on there that smokes cannabis. Because, I mean, I've known people... For, that have been smoking cannabis for 40 years. And they're some of the most productive people in our society. So the whole perception is wrong. And this, this term of getting high, you know, I mean, that's what the drug companies uh, tried to do. They said, you know, we're going to make synthetic THC and ca- other cannabinoids, yeah. you know, and we're going to take the high out of this medicine. Like they were so worried about the effects of something that cannot even harm you. But, I mean, look at the other substances they supply, the opiates, the Oxycontin, the Vioxx. You know, these are deadly substances, you know, okayed by the, by the Federal Drug Administration, the FDA. You know, they, you know, they've passed it. It's, it's good. Now it's safe to use for the public. Then the public starts using it, and it's just one death after another. The sad truth is the FDA and all of them, they're, all, they're, they're in the same boat as with the governments. They're just a pack of criminals. And if you look at the FDA, it's like a revolving door. The people that work there, well, one day they're the FDA, the next day they're working for the government, the next day they're working for a pharmaceutical company, yeah. and then they're back to the FDA again. You know, and they say it, it costs hundreds of millions of dollars for all of these tests and everything, you know, to be conducted before a medicine can be introduced. Well, why is that? You know, take 50 people, give them the oil. If it heals them, then obviously the medicine should be used, mm-hmm. yeah. and it will heal them. But, you know, they, they, like I said, the big money, and they own everything. They own the media, they own the drug companies, they own the oil companies, the, you know, the ones right at the top. They own it all. And we're just dancing to their damn tune. And I think it's just about time we put a stop to it. I agree. And it's amazing because whenever this is debated in the mainstream, and I, every now and again the issue rears its head here in Ireland, and you'll have the more, I suppose, in inverted commas, the, uh, the more open-minded people. And they'll say, well, of course it should be legalized and it should be, let's control the use and let's tax the use of it. And personally speaking, I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts on it, Rick. I have a major problem with that. I don't see why an organization, a government, whatever it might be, has any right to tax something that should be freely available to all. And especially if something is A, harmless, and B, and probably more poignantly, can be extremely beneficial. Why should a government, I mean, why stop at, oh, let's just legalise it? In the first place, it's the control system or a government, whatever it might be, who have put the restrictions on the use of hemp or anything else that's been banned. So mm-hmm. why, why should we be happy to say, oh, well, let's, let's have it legal all of a sudden and let these same guys tax us for its use? To me, that's, that, that, that's crazy. It's just as ridiculous as banning yeah. it in the first place. Yeah, yeah, give your tax dollars to the same people that have been committing genocide against you over this plant. I mean, that's, that's totally insane, for God's sakes. Anybody with a brain in their head should see that. But, you know, I, no, I agree completely. I mean, I'm the leader of the hemp movement now since uh, Jack Harris' death. And, uh, I mean, Jack was against taxation, and I am certainly the same. 
You know, to me, it's it's lunacy. And who has the right, you know, to to charge to 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 put taxation on a plant that we can all grow and use, you know, use ourselves? They don't have the right to tell us that we have to pay tax. And if you go back in the laws, you know, if you look at the laws that were put in place, every law or act or statute that was ever put in place in regards to this plant, they were put there with the use of corruption. Yeah. None of it's real. It's just a pack of damn lies. And I know. Uh, well, Jack Hare and I were good friends, and uh, I never did get to meet Jack face-to-face, but we talked hundreds of hours on the phone. And one night, Jack called me uh, a few years back, and he was talking about the initiatives they were planning for California. And, of course, he was against these initiatives, and he had his own initiatives. And then he explained this all out, and then he asked me, he said, well, what do you think of all this, Rick? And I said, well, Jack, I said, I think we should just take it all and throw it in a trash can. I said, Jack, both you and I know that these laws are not even real. So why are we going through all of this? Mm. And look at that organization, Normal. You know, for 40 years or more, Normal's been saying, oh, you know, we're out to legalize cannabis. Well, that's, (laughs) Normal is made up of, well, I mean, there's a lot of good people in Normal, and I feel sorry for them. But it's being run by a bunch of lawyers. Now, for 40 years, these lawyers could could not get rid of a law that, in truth, does not even exist. They're all in it for the money, for God's sakes. And that, that's a lot of what's wrong, you know, even in the hemp movement itself. There's so many people that pretend to be big activists, but in reality, they're operating on their own hidden agendas. Yeah. And that's a sad statement. And, I mean, the only reason that I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm not representing any of these fools. You know, I'm here to represent the real people, the people who want to see this made completely legal, the same as it was all through history. I don't care if you grow a thousand plants behind your house. I could care less. And I will not stop until the day comes when a, when a police officer drives by a field of hemp and looks at it no differently than a field of corn. Because in truth, it is simply a farm crop. And it's a harmless one. Absolutely. And what human being or group of human beings has the right to distinguish from from various parts of nature. I mean, you've one plant there on the left-hand side. You've another plant on the right-hand side. What right does anybody have to say to another person, well, you can't go near plant A, or you can only have plant B? It's absolutely ridiculous. It smacks of control and power. And let's face it, the only people who can grant these, I suppose, our lords and masters, again, using inverted commas there, this power (laughs) are us. They have no power without the consent of the people. That's right. If we stand as one, then what can they do? You know, we're in control, but we don't seem to realize it. It's absolutely amazing. So let's go back to hemp oil and its use. Um, and when you started to use it, Rick, did you find it difficult to, in, in the initial stages, to figure out how to make it first off? I mean, it's very easy now, obviously, because people can reference um, videos such as Run From The Cure and some of the other bits and pieces that you've mentioned. But was it difficult to actually kind of figure out what dose was needed or what way to use the oil? Well, yeah, it took, it took quite some time to, for me to figure all this out because, like I said, I had no medical background and I didn't, I didn't realize. I mean, I couldn't believe what this oil was doing. You know, first off, when I started taking it, I well, I started losing weight. You know, while my head and thinking was clearing up, you know, and my blood pressure was being controlled, I also began to lose weight. And I thought, you know, that maybe the oil was harming me. And, but, you know, I kept, my weight kept dropping. I was up around close to 190 pounds, mm. and my weight just kept dropping and dropping. And f- finally, I got down to about 165, 
And I said, you know, if this continues, uh, if I hit 150 pounds, then I'm going to stop this. But what happened is I went to 160 pounds, and all of a sudden, I stopped losing weight. Right. It's just like the oil knew what I should weigh. And, uh, and you know, and what it was doing, it was taking all this excess fat off me and the, and the toxins in, in my body. They, it, took them, it took them all away. And um, even for people that are anorexic, if they use the oil, in most cases, it stimulates their appetite and it brings them back to a healthy weight. So, there, I mean, there's, there's just no end to the uses, uh, you know, for this substance. But uh, the dosages, I mean, I, see, I started, I was ingesting the oil for my condition. And I knew the effects were harmless, although, you know, like the, the oil is very potent and it has a very sedative effect in the beginning. Right. And it, does, it takes usually three to four weeks to build up your tolerance, you know, with the use of this medication. But in a short time, that's what happens. And um, when I began, to, you know, like supplying the oil, like for skin conditions and things like that, well, many times you would just, it would only require a few grams of oil. But then when I started with the internal treatments, like for cancer, you know, I like, well, you know, like we all had, the problem is, is we all have different rates of healing. And, uh, and, and you can't judge from person to person how fast they're going to heal. You know, I've actually had patients, I, I, I've had patients that actually cured their terminal cancer with one six gram tube of this oil. It took the tumors away. One six gram tube. You know, that doesn't happen too often, but it has happened. And uh, sadly, quite often, these people will stop taking the oil. You know, and I tell them, take the 60-gram treatment. But, you know, see, the, the thing is, is like when you have a tumor, it's just the side effect of an underlying condition that exists in your body that's allowing the cancer to grow. Yeah, sure. So you, 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 you're not just treating the tumor. You've got to treat the underlying condition. And by taking the full 60-gram treatment, that's what you're doing. You know, if you've had no chemo, no radiation, you know, normally from what I've seen, 60 grams over, taken over a three-month period will cure most serious internal cancers. But if you've had chemo or radiation in the past, I would strongly suggest that you take 120 to 180 grams of this oil as quickly as possible. Because, you know, the effects of these horrible treatments, they linger in your body for years. And in most cases, they bring the cancer back. So you have to treat that as well. But it, it took me a long time to, to, you know, to come up with the, the numbers and everything. But uh, from what I've seen, you know, the 60-gram treatment does seem to be the answer. And, uh, but, you know, again, it, it depends on your condition. If, if you're using it to control diabetes, uh, well, maybe just, you know, a lot of cases, small doses of the oil. No time people are off their insulin. You know, and it, and it doesn't just, uh, it's not, you know, like, yeah, insulin works pretty good to control blood sugar. But it doesn't do much for all the other devastating effects, you know, of this disease. Sure. You know, people suffer from diabetic ulcers and bad circulation. Well, the oil promotes good circulation, and it'll heal a diabetic ulcer that the medical system can't heal. It'll heal a diabetic ulcer in no time. So, you know, there's, there's just so many reasons that we should be using this. So like burn units, um, you know, you put this oil on a third-degree burn, and... It will literally heal in no time. I mean, I deep fried about three quarters of my right hand many years ago uh, when I was under the effects uh, of the chemicals the doctors were giving me. That's when I first tried to make the oil, and I set myself on fire because my thinking processes weren't right. And I, I, I really severely, I mean, horrible burns. Uh, my three quarters of my right hand was just hanging in gobs, you know, underneath my hand. It, it was disgusting. 
And uh, I mean, I went. I went. Uh, my girlfriend, she came down, and she she seen you know she seen my hand. Well, I mean, all of those gobs that are hanging, it's all dead. You don't feel it. So she just took a pair of scissors and cut it off. And then about four days later, she said, well, Rick, you know, you, you've got to go see a doctor about this. So, you know, I'm not much in favor of doctors. But anyway, I, I went in and I, I seen the doctor and he looked at my hand and he said, when did you do this? And I said, well, I don't know, four or five days ago. And uh, he said, my God, man, he said, there's nothing I can do for you. He said, you got third degree burns. He said, you know, and he, he started wrapping a, a gauze around my hand. He didn't put any salve or anything on it, just put gauze around my hand. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want you to come back in seven days, and we're going to have to do, you know, skin grafts from your back and, and things like that to try to repair some of this damage. So, I mean, I, I, like I said, my thinking wasn't right at all, you know, because of the chemicals I was on. So I went home, and, of course, I had oil to make, so I go back down, <laughs> I go right back at it again. In no time, the bandage is just soaked in the oil-solvent mix. And uh, the weird part of it was, you know, I, I didn't even realize what it was doing myself. But seven days later, when I went back to the doctor's office and I put my hand out, his eyes got as big as two saucers. And he looked at my hand and he said, seven days ago, you had third degree burns. He said, today, all it's there is pink skin. And even the hair follicles all grew back, for God's sakes. Uh, but, you know, I was, but these chemicals, they had messed up my brain so badly. I just got up and looked at the doctor and I said, well, I guess I'm a good healer. And turned around and walked out. <laughs> and it was like three years after that before I finally clued into what this stuff was doing. But, you know, what it proved to me is that, you know, I mean, you, you see people that go through house fires, you know, children that are badly burned, you know, even facial burns. From what I've seen, this due to my right hand, because there's not a mark, there's not a scar in my right hand from that horrible injury. Now, if this oil can heal that, could heal that hand in 11 days with no scarring, could it actually regrow a child's face? I honestly believe it can. And it's a natural antibiotic. It's a natural anesthetic. And the minute you put it on a burn, within just seconds or within a couple minutes, the pain is gone. Because it's an anesthetic. It just takes the pain right away. And, and you heal at such an accelerated rate. Because, I mean, you, you're in a burn unit. You're going to lay in there for months and months. You're subject to infections, all these horrible operations. Mm. All of this is needless. The burn units, I mean, they should be using this medication. And the same thing with the eye doctors. You know, one of the leading causes of blindness is glaucoma. But yet, people go to their eye doctors, and they'll burn holes in your eyeball with a laser, or they'll give you eye drops. And these doctors will sit there, and they will watch you slowly go blind. You know, first you, use your, you lose your driver's license, and then before you know it, you are clinically blind. Yeah. But it's been a known fact since the 1800s that cannabis is a very, very effective treatment for glaucoma. And I, I've treated many people with that condition very successfully. But yet eye doctors will not even talk about it. So what does that tell you? There's our system. And the simple fact of the matter is, if a free medicine came out, all these guys are out of a job. So, I mean, they, they have a vested interest to keep <coughs> things under wraps. Well, that's, that's really what it's all about. You know, and the pharmaceutical companies have told us for decades, you know, they're, they're down in the Amazon scouring the jungle for new cures. No, that's not what they're doing at all. They're down in the jungle hiding any, cure, any possible cures from the public. That's yeah. what they're really doing because they want to control it all. You know, and the, and the agenda, from what I understand, of the, you know, the so-called Illuminati and that bunch, apparently, I mean, their, their agenda is to depopulate this planet. 
I think it's to bring the idea is to bring it bring the whole planet back to a population of around 500 million mm-hmm. from 7 billion. And you know they try to tell us that you know we well you know the planet cannot support this many humans. Well, I, I totally disagree with that. I mean, I, I honestly believe this planet could easily support twice the number of people we have today if the planet was managed properly. It's just because of all this mismanagement and, and you know, and waste. That, that's what's wrong. So, you know, again, cannabis is the answer. And that's what it boils down to, really, mismanagement. I mean, if we look at anything from Fukushima to on a much smaller level, um, environmental pollution in a river in our own localities, generally speaking... It's all down to mismanagement. It's about to, uh, down to greed, money, and the, I suppose the willingness of so many people to just turn a blind eye. Well, if it doesn't affect me, I'm all right, Jack. That kind of attitude, which is something that really boils my blood personally. Oh, me too, brother. I mean, I, you know, I was born in a different time. You know, I was born in 1949. You know, in the 1950s, the 1960s, people, the honesty of people was so much different. I mean, nobody locked their houses. Nobody took their keys out of their cars. We didn't have to. Yeah. There was no crime. And here, what, 40, 50 years later, I mean, my God, you're not even safe in your own house anymore. And it's mostly due, I mean, it, it's, well, a lot, it's a lot to do with these drug addictions. And, and it's a sad statement, but it's truly a fact that half of the, at least half of the people or more that we consider to be drug addicts, well, guess who made them that way? Could it be their own family doctors mm. who put them on these opiates? And that, you know, I mean, because these opiates are they're very, very, very addictive, and these doctors know it. So they keep giving you prescriptions for your pain and things like that until it gets to a certain point, you know, because your tolerance builds for you know for these drugs, and you require more and more. And then when you get to a certain point, the doctor looks at you and says, "Well, you're a drug addict, and I can no longer treat you." You know, well, thank you, doctor. Thank you so much for all your wonderful aid. You know, I mean, it's truly pathetic, and and in reality, over 80% of the people that are dying today from drug overdoses on the street, they're dying from pharmaceuticals. You know, yes, I mean, I do know that crack cocaine, crystal meth, and heroin, and all the rest of that, it does take its toll, too. But over 80% are dying from prescription drugs. They should not even be on the street. You know, and I mean, if the police was doing their job, that could have been prevented. You know, I mean, I can go into any small town, anywhere, and within two weeks, I can tell you who's dealing the hard drugs in that town. It's not a hard thing to do. Mm. And then you have your local police who can't seem to figure out who's doing what. And they live right in these towns themselves, for God's sakes. The simple truth is, they, they wanted to get the public. They went along with the governments to get the public addicted to these horrible substances and then... They catch them, and they put them. They don't go after the dealers. They go after the people that use it. And then they put them in jail, and then to reform them. And the minute you get in jail, well, then your friendly jailhouse doctor, he makes painkillers, sleeping medications, antidepressants, anything you want available to you. So they keep you addicted all the time you're in jail. And then after they've reformed you, then they release you from the jail. Now, what's going to happen? You're a drug addict. You're going to have to commit crimes to feed your habit, and before you know it, you're going to be back in jail. It's just a system that causes more, well, we need more policing. We need more doctors. We need more, more, more. It's always more. And in truth, I mean, this little town right here in Spring Hill, when I was a kid, this town had right around 7,000 people in the town. And it was a rough mining town, you know, like the Spring Hill mines. And those miners, they they played pretty hard. Hmm. There was two cops 
that policed the whole town. Now today, you know, many years later, we have a population of about 3,000. And the last count I heard, there was, I think, 16 full-time cops in the town of Spring Hill. Plus, there's six, I think, uh, five or six part-time. Now, over 20 cops to police half the population we used to have. Now, what's wrong with this picture? You know, it's, it's, it's so insane when you, when you see, you know, all of this happening. And, and here in Canada, I mean, they tell us we, we live in a free country. But you get out on the road, well, there's check stops. You know, license, registration, all yeah. of this nonsense, insurance, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, I can see them stopping people who are driving erratically. That's their job. But to stop every citizen? And this is what they're doing. So I've said right along that, you know, Canada and the United States, I mean, they're literally, they're, they're, they're police states. And, uh, but, you know, it's, but it's just like the public can't seem to recognize that fact. Yeah. And it's amazing because of the level of distraction that's out there for the average person now. Most people, they're, they're blissfully happy in their, uh, well, in their, in their brave new world. They're, they're blinded by entertainment and they're happy in their prisons, almost. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, too, you know, I, mean, I mean, people, when they get sick, yes, they all want the cure. But most people won't do a damn thing to back it. And from what I've seen, I mean, all of these medical foundations and philanthropists that are supposed to be out there who will jump up and back something that's good. Well, I've been doing this for 10 years. Where are they? They don't back anything that's good. Mm. You know, it's just an, another scam. And, uh, you know, like they, they present that image to the public, but in reality it's not there because surely by now, after all of these millions of people have experienced the use of this medication, surely by now, if there was such an organization, they would have come forward and backed this. Now, I mean, I've been doing this with my own money, well, forever now. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars of my own money just bringing this thing forward, you know, to the point it's at right now. And now there's, you know, there's many others out there that are involved because, you know, in, in the beginning it was just me doing this. And I, I thought, you know, back in 2003, I thought, well, this is so simple. There has to be many people that know the same as I know about this. Yeah, sure. So, you know, so when I come out with all of this on the Internet and everything, I was literally shocked. You know, I was all alone. And that was not a good feeling because at that point they could, they could have come and just put a bullet in my head and it would have been all over. Mm. And it wouldn't have gone nowhere. But I think what they believed, I, I think they thought that, you know, by persecuting me and things like that, that they could shut me up and quiet me down. Well, that didn't work out too well for them. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I, I look at this medicine for what it is. If it was not for this oil, I wouldn't be here right now. I mean, I would have, I would have been dead years ago. I know I would have been because I was in a bad state of health. And this oil brought me back. So... Until the day I die, I'll never stop talking about what, you know, as long as there's laws in place against the use of this substance, I'll never stop talking, you know, about what it can do. And now we're getting more and more people every day. So, you know, I, I believe today, like, we're getting over a million hits a month on my website. And, uh, you know, more and more people every day are becoming aware of the truth in this. Because, I mean, you have all these people out there that call themselves skeptics. Well, they're not skeptics. The simple truth is they're ignorant and they don't want to be any other way because if they did, all they would have to do was go on the Internet and, and look at the research that's there. Go to PubMed. There's over 800 peer-reviewed studies that basically state the same thing I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stating. 
you know, the proof is, uh, you know, and, the, and of course with all these testimonials now, these video testimonials, there's all kinds of them out there now in regards to the use of this oil. Mm. You know, are all of these people lying just so we can smoke pot? You know, that's idiotic. And, you know, and like I said, when you, when you look at even the smoking aspect of this plant, which, you know, people, so many people tend to look down their nose at, even the smoking aspect is medicinal. Because it's a proven fact that people that smoke cannabis, on average, live about six years longer than those who don't. And also, they have a much uh, less chance of getting lung cancers, throat cancers, brain cancers, just from the smoking aspect. Yeah. So who can say that even smoking cannabis is not preventative medicine? It is. But, I mean, I don't push the smoking aspect because that's where the hemp movement went wrong. I mean, they've been walking around at their demonstrations for decades blowing smoke in the public's faces. And that don't work. I mean, you have to show them the patients. You have to show them the oil that healed them. Then the public begin to understand it. Because, I mean, what, what other medicine do you smoke? <laughs> No, it's it's kind of common sense, but yeah. I'm I'm sure now in the near future that uh, things are going to change because ju just too many people know now, you know. And uh, and the way I look at it, if you have a loved one that's suffering and dying, and you can do something to save their life, even if it's illegal, well, damn the laws. Go out and do what you have to do to help your relatives and your friends and neighbors. You know, I mean, well, why should we allow those we love to die? for no damn reason just because oh what we're we're afraid to go to jail over a law that doesn't even exist exactly i couldn't agree more i mean there there's the law which is one thing and there's doing the right thing which in a lot of cases is something entirely different oh well they, they i mean they when i was in the court system they they did they offered me an absolute discharge if i would simply go into the court and plead guilty to cultivation hmm. and i mean an absolute discharge means you walk away with no criminal record and basically, you know, they, well, they more or less told me that I would kind of be left alone. But, I mean, I didn't swallow any of that. I, I just looked at the lawyer who told me that, and I, I told him point blank, I said, you people don't want this to change. You want to carry on with this charade because you're all filling your pockets. Exactly. And I said, I'm not, I'm not willing to deal with criminals, and so there's no damn way I'll make any deals. So they had to do it the hard way by, you know, the Crown Prosecutor tampering. He tampered with the jury is what happened in my case. I, I think I forgot to add that. Uh, there's uh, like the day of my, uh, the day of my, the, my verdict came in. You know, I, like I said, I was shocked that these people found me guilty. But the very next day, one of the uh, lady that was in the audience that day, she called me up and she told me, she said, Rick, she's, I'm not used to court procedures. But she said, you know, I seen the Crown Prosecutor lead the jury room just a couple minutes before the jury came in. And I, when she told me this, I said, you know, what? You know, that's jury tampering. Yeah. And I, I told her, I said, go back to the courthouse, sit in the same chair, and look down the hallway, and make sure what door you've seen him come out of. Well, she went back and sat in the same seat, and she came back and told me, she said, Rick, from where I was sitting, when you look down the hallway, there's only one doorway that's visible. And that's the jury room door. So all of this was reported to the judge, you know, who actually should have done something about it. Instead, you know, they called us up and I, about two weeks later, and I thought we were going to have some kind of meeting. So I go up to the Amherst Courthouse, and this lady and her husband came with me. And as soon as we walked into the courtroom, the judge was behind the bench. The two prosecutors were sitting there, and, of course, they had a lawyer representing them from Halifax. And the judge looked at this lady, and he said, if we find anything you're saying to be untrue, you, you could be facing 14 years in prison. 
Now, this lady is a real rock. I mean, she just looked at the judge and she said, I'm simply here to tell the truth. And she got up on the stand and the lawyer that was representing the prosecutors, he tried to do everything he could to, you know, to, to, to turn her into some kind of liar. And he even came out and he stated, I, you know, he, th he thought that the reason Mrs. DeWire was here was because, you know, uh, she, if I was to be put in jail, she would lose her supply. And this lady just sat there and she just laughed at him. She said, do you think Rick Simpson is the only person in Canada that grows hemp? For God's sake, she said, I can get this medicine anywhere. You know, don't be so stupid. And uh, they couldn't do a thing with her. And I mean, they couldn't defrock a word she said. But then it was my turn, so I called the Crown Prosecutor that had gone into the jury room. I put him on the stand. And I asked him, I, I mean, through uh, local people, uh, dealers, you know, through what I was doing, I got to know a lot of growers and dealers. And I had two local dealers that told me they were selling cannabis to Doug Shatford, the Crown Prosecutor. So I asked him, I said, could you describe your use of hemp to the, you know, to the court? And he, oh, he got, the, his face turned blood red and he started sputtering and spitting. And then the judge jumped right in and said, you know, that line of questioning will not be tolerated. And I looked at him, I said, well, their lawyer asked Margaret about her use of, of cannabis. Why can't I ask him? You know, and then you, know, I, you couldn't get anywhere. The judge just defended the, you know, the crown prosecutor to no end. And they even brought two people that worked in the courthouse. Uh, you know, and they put them on the stand. Of course, their jobs were at stake. So, of course, what did they say? Mm -hmm. No, Mr. Shatford wasn't in, the he wasn't in the jury room. But here about a year ago, in another case involving the oil again in Amherst, Mr. Shatford was caught in the jury room again. This time, one of the jurors come out and told the judge, Shatford was in the jury room. Now, immediately, that man should have been disbarred. What did they do? Well, they dismiss the case, and they sweep it all under the rug. <laughs> now, that, that criminal is still up there prosecuting people. Now, that's a legal system in Canada. To be honest, Rick, I think that's the legal system all over the world. I'd be quite au fait with the legal system here in Ireland, and similar things happen on a constant basis. It's... It's as corrupt as anything else that is institutionalized, I believe. Well, um, I mean, I'm hoping in the future that we can solve all these problems, you know, in a peaceful manner. Because if we stand as one, we can change this. We don't need to go shooting people or you know, we don't need bloodshed. There's been enough of that all through our history. But, you know, we can change things for the better simply by standing and demanding, you know, our right to this medicine. And, you know, and when this comes out, uh, I mean, it's not just this, this wonderful oil. There's so many things that they, they've hidden from us, like free energy, things of that nature. Yeah. That actually do exist, but they don't want us to have them. You know, so I, I think that so many things are going to change over the next, maybe I would say within five years, you're probably not even going to recognize the planet. It's going to be so much different and so much better. But we're the ones that have to stand up and make this take place. Absolutely. Because the, the system's never going to do it. I agree 100%. And for those that do want to take some personal responsibility and want to produce their own hemp oil, it can be quite tricky for people to actually begin because I suppose the seeds are banned in so many countries. How would somebody take the first steps in going about doing so, in, in your opinion or your experience, Rick? Well, I mean, it's like I said, with the crops that I grew, I just grew the, the plants and made the medicine and gave it away. But after that, I mean, where the police kept coming and taking my crops, uh, I had no alternative other than to go to people, other growers. 
because I mean I, I couldn't supply the, the you know the needs of the public. Yeah. So I went to other growers and I and you know what I always uh, tell people to do if you have to go to a grower to get the material needed, make sure it's very sedative. You know, like some types of cannabis, when you smoke it, it's energizing. Mm. That's the sativa strains. And sativas are far, when you make a concentrate with sativas, it's far, far too energizing. And I don't want terminal cancer patients bouncing off the walls. Yeah. So yeah, I always suggest the strong, heavily sedative indica strains. And, uh, I mean, these, what these strains do, they actually they make you sleep a great deal in the beginning. And sleep and rest are, you know, of course, a very important part of the healing process. Sure, yeah. And so, the, you know, the indicas are by far the best. And, uh, you know, it's hard right now for people because, you know, there's many seed companies. It's not hard, really that hard to get seeds. Uh, right in England, I mean, there's the Attitude Seed Company. They, they ship worldwide. And uh, there's, you know, greenhouse DNA seeds. There's, there's so many of them. So, you know, getting the seeds required to grow cannabis, I don't think is really that hard. But getting the right strains, you know, I mean, if you, if you go to uh, oh, one of the varieties I grew here in Canada was called White Widow. And it was the most wonderful painkiller I ever seen. And uh, it was very sedative and it worked very well on cancer. But, you know, I bought those seeds from British Columbia. But, you know, if you go today, uh, practically every seed company sells White Widow. So if you send to five different seed companies and you got the, got the seeds from them and you grew them, you would probably find that you're growing five entirely different types of plants. Right. You know, when I encountered White Widow in Europe, it was more sativa. It was more energizing. It wasn't the same at all. So, you know, what we need, you know, some of the seed companies, they actually do, if you go on their websites, they actually do, you know, they do list off the different strains they sell. And quite a few of these companies now are, you know, are telling the medicinal values that they've found with the use of these uh, strains. Right. So if you take your time and go through, I mean, if you have arthritis or chronic pain or that type of thing, or diabetes or, or glaucoma, you know, usually it'll mention, you know, very effective for glaucoma or arthritis. Uh, so it, it does give you something to go by. But in reality, it's the, the, st the seed supply is really quite unstable. And in the future, that's what I would like to do. I'd like to do research into the most medicinal strains you know, maybe do some crossing and then stabilize these strains, you know, that have known values and then make them available to the public. I, I don't really think it would cut into the seed companies too much because the seed companies are more about connoisseurs, you know, like some people like these strains that have, you know, different flavors like blueberry and bubblegum and there's, there's many different, you know, tastes and varieties. So, you know, they, they supply a lot of the connoisseur. But I don't care about that. I mean, I, all I want to do is grow the most potent medicinal hemp on the planet. Yeah. And in reality, I mean, I had strains here uh, years ago that were so potent that people couldn't even smoke them. You know, two puffs and it would knock you right on your ass. I mean, I used to make a little joint, used to call it my all-day sucker because I couldn't smoke one little joint in the whole day. You know, from 8 in the morning to 12 at night, I couldn't consume one joint. Right. Because two puffs about every four hours, and I mean, you know, I wasn't impaired or anything. My thinking was just fine, but that's all I wanted. I did. If I took any more than that, I'd have to go lay down. Yeah. So, so you know, and uh, a lot of the oils I produced, they had a kind of a, a, a euphoric effect. You know, about forty-five minutes after you take this oil, you just kind of sit there and get a smile on your face, and you really don't care at that point if the you know the sky dropped on your head. 
And then you get this feeling where, you know, the sedated feeling, like you need to lay down and sleep. And then they go to sleep and they sleep, you know, I mean, when you're on the oil, you sleep like a baby. It's just amazing. And when you get up the next morning, it gives you that part of, you know, like so many of us, when we hit around 40 years old, we get insomnia and we can't sleep right. And that is, that is really bad for your health, you know, because if you're not getting your proper rest, you're not a healthy person. Mm. And it's due to the melatonin levels. You know, as we age, our, our pineal glands produce less and less melatonin till finally we're producing practically nothing, and that's when we start having all these sleeping disorders. And melatonin, of course, it's the greatest antioxidant on Earth. It, grows, it goes to every cell in your body, so that's doing nothing but good. But when you start ingesting the oil, your melatonin levels go up thousands of times. And when you get out of bed the next morning, you bounce out of bed because your body is rested. You've actually slept right. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I've had so many people come back to me, like, the, you know, that had arthritis or all kinds of problems. And, you know, they, they literally came and thanked me, you know, for, for saving their lives because they, they, they were doing nothing but suffering. You know, and, you know, and the, the simple truth is, I mean, once we're around 50 years old, we really don't have much to look forward to. You know, diabetes, cancer, arthritis, chronic pain, it, you know, it's just suffer, suffer, suffer until you die. Well, if we can remove all that suffering, why don't we? Because we got a medicine here that can do that. You know, it's that simple. And I'm not saying you're going to live forever, but from what I've seen, I'm sure this is going to extend the lives of most people a great deal. As a matter of fact, I think if a child took it from the time they were an infant today, I think that child might live to be 150 or 160 years old. And as we use the cannabis plant to detoxify this earth and bring it back to what it should be, and we make sure that our food supply is safe by getting rid of all these uh, genetic modification companies, then I think it is possible that we likely could live for hundreds of years. And if that's the case, and if we can live that long and be productive, well, why shouldn't we? You know, I, I think it's just a human right. And if you go way back in history, well, wasn't it Noah? Noah was supposed to live 950 years. Mm. Well, could that be possible? Well, on, a, on an earth that's not poisoned, with a good food supply, and using medicine from plants, maybe it is. Well, Rick, for anybody who might like a little piece of that themselves, tell us about the website again and the book and how they can find out more information about you. Well, I mean, I've done countless interviews. On crazy, I, I do a lot of work on Dark City Radio in the UK, Papsite Radio in the US. Uh, I, well, I've done interviews all over the place with Vinnie Eastwood, Max Egan. Yep. Uh, so there's no shortage of information out there. But uh, our website is phoenixtears.ca for Canada, CA. And uh, the name of the book is uh, Phoenix Tears, the Rick Simpson Story. And uh, we're both ready now to release the second one. Uh, I believe we're going to call it uh, Real Medicine. And that's more or less a compilation of questions and answers. Uh, it's some of the articles and things I have written. Uh, a lot of testimonials are going to be in it, you know, from people that have used the oil. Because, you know, people always have so many questions about this. And, and I'm always contacted saying, you know, does it work for this type of condition? And, and, I mean, all I can tell the public is, and, and what they should realize is, I don't call it a cure-all for no good reason. Yeah. I mean, this medicine is, effective, is an effective treatment for practically any disease known to man. And when you become sick, it should be the first line of defense, not the last. Take the oil first. So, 
you know, I, I think, I don't think, I know damn well in the near future, the whole face of medicine is going to change, and we're going to see a, a wave of healing sweep this earth like we have never seen in the past. It's going to be amazing what it's going to do. And then we have to come to the realization that we're not quite as smart as we think we are. And we, in truth, we are very easy to manipulate. You know, we, we can be led too, too, far too easily. And this is, this is how we got in the situation we're in today. But in the future, we have to recognize this fact. And, you know, I, I'm all in favor of law and order and all the rest of it. But we need real laws. And we need real police officers upholding these laws. You know, we, we have to start basing all laws on knowledge and common sense. And when you look at cannabis, of course, <laughs> there is no knowledge and common sense involved with the laws they put in place against this plant. Yeah. And I think that's the case with many other uh, issues. So we need some truth, and the only way we're going to get it is to stand up you know, and change the world in which we live and create a new paradigm in the way people think. You know, because if we, if we simply you know, start behaving more rationally towards each other, and we stop doing all of these idiotic wars. You know, we, we have to put a stop to all this aggression, all this hate. You know, we, we need to pr promote, you know, love and understanding. Mm. And truly, I mean, I'm, I'm against borders, you know, of all, all types. Because, uh, you know, they put, you know, vast groups of people behind a border and then they indoctrinate them into their way of thinking as a, as a German or as a Pole or as an Englishman or, you know, your own country, you, you go through indoctrination. And then, you know, you're always told, well, you know, you really can't trust these other countries because they think differently than, than we do. And I honestly believe if, if the borders weren't there and we could travel, you know, freely anywhere we want to go, which is something I think we all should be able to do, it would promote understanding. You know, because I, I've been in the last three years, I've been in 20 different countries, and I have to say I had a good time in every one of them, you know, because I went to these countries and I adapted to these cultures. And I, it was a wondrous experience, you know, seeing the different foods, the, the way people thought and talked, you know, and I don't see any reason that why, you know, why we can't learn to get along. You know, we've been killing each other forever. The only thing we've ever got better at is killing each other. So why, you know, why are we doing this? You know, I, I, I don't want to go kill my fellow man. And, I, and anybody that's, you know, right in the head would feel the same, I think. So, you know, why do we allow these wars and all this horror to continue when we can put a stop to it? You know, the way I look at it, you know, if uh, Obama or Harper here in Canada, they, they want to go fight a war, well, give them a gun. Yeah, go ahead, you brave leaders. Go over there and let's see what you can do. Exactly. Instead, they send our children, have them killed. And on top of that, you know, in reality, when you go to these countries, they're committing genocide against the people in these countries. You know, uh, I mean, the United Nations itself calls the use of depleted uranium a, a crime against humanity. Well, look what they did in the Balkans. Look what they did in Iraq. You know, they, they've ruined these countries. For, for, you know, for countless, you know, years to come, these countries are not even safe to inhabit because of all this, you know, all of this depleted uranium and all the chemical factories and everything they blew up. You know, we, we didn't go there to bring them peace and democracy. We bombed them back to the Stone Age because we wanted their resources. And to me, that's not a good enough reason to see any of my children go off to war. 
I couldn't agree more, Rick. It's been energising speaking to you today on Alchemy Radio. I have the power. You have the power. We have the power. Rick Simpson, I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you for joining us on Alchemy Radio today. Well, it was a pleasure, brother, and I'd be happy to come back on the air anytime. Well, we'll certainly have you back on in the future. There's no doubt about that. Thanks once again. Okay, John. Alchemy Radio. Don't Legalize it, yeah, yeah. I will advertise it. Some call it tampering. Some call it the weed. Some call it marijuana. Some of them call it ganja. Never mind. Legalize it. Don't you ever criticize. Legalize it, yeah, yeah. I man will love And the players of instruments too Legalize it, yeah, yeah That's the best thing you Smoking, judges smoking, even my lawyer too. So you, you, you got to legalize. Don't you criticize. Better legalize it, yeah, yeah. I man will advertise it. It's good for the flu. It's good for asthma. Good for tuberculosis. Glaucomia. So you better legalize it. Make it free for your smoking. Don't want to be abused for it. In this year time. See you.